0: Well, it's about time for a change, isn't it? That's what we want. Because things are not good. Things are not as they should be. I mean, this world, the culture, the economy, our government. Not to mention my job, my my marriage, my situation in life. Things are not right, and so things have got to change. Of course, when we talk like this, when we call for change, when we demand it, what we demand is the change that is external to ourselves, right? It's not that I need to change, you need to change. Uh, These systems need to change. That, That group of people over there, they need to change. Or we need a change in leadership, a change in direction. My spouse, she needs to change. My kids, my my place in life, That's, that's the kind of change that we're all looking for. Well, I have good news for you this morning. God is interested in this kind of change. Because God's heart is to see the mess of this world made new. He has a plan, a plan to radically change our world for good. And get this, he's also looking to transform into better people, all those jerks in your life, those people that you can't stand, isn't that wonderful? God wants to change them. And yes, God even wants, to ch- wants your spouse, your children, your co-workers to start acting more maturely, more kindly, and with more patience, and he is working hard to change them. I mean, this is, this is all phenomenal news, isn't it? But here's the kicker. None of this is your job. The change we so desperately want to see that is external to ourselves, that change is not your job. Because when it comes to change, it is not your job to change the culture, to change the systems, to change this person or that person in your life. It's not to change the world. No, when it comes to change, your job is simply this, to allow God to To change you. I think about change a lot. Mostly because I see my role as a priest or as your rector. As nurturing a community where deep change can occur. Not because this should be a place where we try to force each other to change. But because we want this place to be conducive for the spirit to work change into our lives. So that as a people, as the book of Acts says, we are a people who are being saved. That's how Acts describes the church. Because that's really what we're talking about here when we speak of change, isn't it? We're talking about our salvation. A point that is difficult for some of us to grasp because so many of us really grew up with a distorted view of salvation. A view that sees salvation primarily as a transaction, a one-and-done decision where all that is supposed to happen happens right then. So you either got saved or you didn't. Yes or no, and there you go. But this is a distorted view of salvation because salvation is not a transaction. No, it's a transformation, a slow arduous lifelong process of change in fact you could say if you so dare that salvation takes work a lot of work now hold on hold on don't get me wrong here yes salvation is of grace through and through you cannot earn your salvation not at all but as the apostle paul says you must work out your salvation allowing god to change you Indeed, this really is what the church is, right? A people, a community of change. We are a people in formation. We are a people always becoming, by, yes, by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more like Jesus. And that requires quite a bit of change. And when it comes to change, that and that alone is your job. Because at the end of the day, it's not so much what you do for God that counts. It's what you allow him to do to yourself. Are you allowing God to change you? Is that your primary focus when it comes to change? Fair enough, you say. But then how does this actually work out in real life? I mean, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How do do you and I allow God to change us? What's involved? Now, most of us wouldn't normally think to answer this question by giving thought to today's special occasion, the Feast of the Transfiguration, a day when we commemorate that peculiar event on the mountainside when beams of light start radiating out from Jesus' body, his clothes shining like the sun and then these two dead guys show up out of nowhere for a nice little chat. I mean, yes, what in the world does that have to do with allowing ourselves to be changed by God? Well, hold that thought. Growing up, I was raised to believe that one of the main points of the New Testament is to prove the divinity of Christ, to show that Jesus is not only human, but that he is also God in the flesh And one of the key pieces of evidence that is often hurried out to demonstrate this truth happens to be our story today, the transfiguration. You see, look at how Jesus glows. Yes, he must therefore be God. But that, my friends, is not at all the point of the transfiguration. And neither is it really the point of the New Testament. I mean, yes, we affirm the deity of Christ, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, But that doesn't mean that everything that we read about Jesus is an attempt to prove his divinity. And so, for example, when we take a closer look at the transfiguration, we see, first of all, wow, that Jesus is not the only one transfigured here. Moses and Elijah are also there, and the text says this, that they too appeared in glory. So that there are now three human beings shining like the sun. Human beings appearing in glory. That ought to be a clue. That ought to remind us that this is sort of the point of our humanity. Remember that we are created as God's image bearers. And part of that means that we're designed to share in and reflect his glory to the world. I think of Psalm 8 here, right? Which says, O Lord, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, and yet you have crowned them with honor and glory. Of course, as Paul says in Romans 3, we all know this verse, that we have all sinned and fall short of that glory. But that doesn't change God's intention to restore it for us in Christ, right? The $2 theological word for this is glorification, Might that be what is actually going on in our passage today, a foretaste of what's to come for us? Could it be that the glory that burst forth from Jesus wasn't intended to point us to his divinity? It was instead intended to point us to the future glory of our own humanity. In other words, what if what Peter, James, and John saw that day in the face of Jesus was a mirror image of their future selves. It sounds weird, I know. But this idea isn't so far-fetched when we recall what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. There are some incredible connections to be made between our passage today and what, Pat, and what Paul wrote to second, in 2 Corinthians 3, where he says this. He says, all of us with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, we are being transformed, he says, into that image from one degree of glory to another. A better translation might be we are being transfigured, since that is actually the same word that is used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus here in Luke. I think that's amazing. We who behold the glory of Jesus we are also being transformed into that same image. We are being changed. I noticed when we were singing our gospel hymn this morning on the transfiguration that that's the connection that they make. Verse 3, when Christ descends and eternal life made known, all our mortal bodies change to copies of your own. Isn't that amazing? I think that's the principle that we need to catch here that you become what you behold. Or to Christianize it, we would say, the more that you behold the face of Christ, the more you become like him, the more that you allow God to change you. We are all meant to be transfigured for a change. This is what it takes to work out our salvation, the work of beholding. So that we might become, right? Become what you behold. Think about Moses on Mount Sinai, right? In our Old Testament reading today from Exodus 34. I don't know if you know this, but earlier in that passage, Moses had the audacity to make this bold request of God. Remember? He said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord amazingly replied. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim to you my name. That is God's own character, who he is. So that Moses, like no one else in his time, had the privilege to behold the glory of God and it changed him. Indeed, it changed him so much that when Moses came down from the mountain, the skin of his face shone because he had been beholding the goodness of God. And so Moses himself, you could say, had been transfigured. He was changed. Friends, God wants you to experience a transfiguration day by day, week by week, month by month, to allow yourself to be changed by God. To be a person who is always in the process of being saved, becoming more and more like Jesus. And how does this occur? By beholding his face. And so I ask you, how are you beholding the face of Christ on a regular basis? What does that look like for you? How are you arranging your days so that you can behold Jesus in all things? How many moments in your life are you filling with a conscious awareness of God's presence with you? You see, the path forward here is not new. It's just less traveled. But it is the way to experience change, to behold the face of Christ on a regular basis. And yes, to do that, that takes work, discipline, It takes the hard work of deep relationships. You've got to be in deep relationships to behold the face of Christ. It takes discipline to create rhythms, new rhythms in your day, holy habits and rituals that are woven into your everyday activities. It takes gathering around word and sacrament every week. It takes immersing yourself in a church community. And finally, I would say it requires something that is so difficult for us to find these days and that is silence. It requires times of silence to be still and know the presence of God. What I'm talking about here is what the ancients like to call a rule of life. Taking your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and running around life, and intentionally ordering, ordering your days. Ordering your work, your leisure, so that you are able to constantly behold the face of Jesus. In other words, it's training your daily earthly schedules to see heavenly realities. All of us, by the way, have an unwritten rule of life that we are always following, whether we realize it or not. I mean, we wake at certain times, we get ready for our day in particular ways that we do every single day. We use our free time for various purposes, and we practice rhythms. Of, we, we all have our own rhythms of work and hobbies and, and worship and vacation and so on. There is already a rule in life in place that you are following this very day. But isn't it time to give up your unwritten rule and prayerfully write one that instead more closely matches the heartbeat of God? One, it doesn't mean you change your job, doesn't mean you don't go to school anymore, but no. You're now ordering all those little events within that framework so that it allows you to behold the face of Christ in all things. One that allows for God to change you. Let me tell you, this is a perfect time of year to do so, isn't it? As so many of us, are, we're gearing up for a new school year with its new rhythms and routines. There's a lot of energy that here that we can capitalize on. I and mean, this past week, my, my children, they spent all sorts of time, tons of time with their new school supplies and their binders and they're getting everything organized. Pen- I, I didn't know pencils could bring so much joy to my children. <laughs> they, got, they got pencils and dividers and, and paper sleeves. Oh my goodness, they're wonderful. And they're even starting to map out their class schedule. You remember how fun that was to do as a student? You to get all organized, to have a planner, to write out your daily routine, Well, that's very much, very very practically much what you need to do right now with your rule of life, right? To revisit your schedule, your daily exercises, and to do so with an eye to this question. How might I behold the face of Christ more and more in my everyday life, in my everyday activities? Because I have to work out my salvation. And this is the way. For you become what you behold. And it's about time for a change. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God of grace that receives us as your children, not because of anything that we do, but that as you accept us as we are and bring us into your family, your heart, your desire is to transform us for our good so that we can be fully human, fully alive, fully alive to your presence in our lives so that then we can be used for the good of your world. Heavenly Father, may our heart's desire not be so much on changing what's external to us, but what is ourselves, allowing you to do your work in our hearts. Help us to be a people that open ourselves up and do the hard work so that we might behold your face in the everyday activities of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. We need your help for this end. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.